Well, yesterday we had a wonderful time uh, around God's Word. We were in that discipleship workshop uh, here at the church, and it's a great time together looking at the intricacies of discipleship. Uh, you remember uh, our theme for this year is building a culture of discipleship here at EBC. It's not a program. It's not what we want to do. We want to see discipleship as a culture permeate our church. And so we thought it would be appropriate for this morning to not only summarize, at least in part, what we looked at yesterday, uh, this morning, but we thought it would be appropriate also to look at that and then move us forward as a church body together, all of us, move us forward as we try to build a culture of discipleship here at EBC. What is discipleship? What is discipleship. Well, it's giving of ourselves, first of all, to the scriptures, ourselves, learning from the scriptures, applying God's word to our own personal life, and then intentionally devoting ourselves to others, devoting ourselves to others for their sanctification and for their spiritual growth. So yesterday we looked at something called the discipleship cycle, not being satisfied with our own spiritual growth, but instead entering into a discipleship relationship, knowing that we need either to disciple someone or be discipled ourselves. And what we looked at yesterday was this cycle, and it does separate and differentiate between individualized Christianity and discipleship Christianity. Because it is possible for us to live a very individualistic life within the faith. Individualized Christianity focuses on ourself. Discipleship Christianity then gives ourselves to others. And so we want to first look at that cycle this morning. And so I'm going to invite Joseph Hunter to come on up. He is our discipleship coordinator here at EBC. He's going to explain this discipleship cycle. I'm then going to come back and I'm going to give some biblical motivations why we should all be on this cycle. So let's welcome Joseph up. Appreciate it, Joseph. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I want to point something out right away. Right away. Um, we have a wonderful pastor. I'm not a pastor, I'm a teacher, <laughs> okay? I've spent years in education, um, and I'm currently a professor up at Western Washington, still teaching. So um, I'm gonna actually introduce the discipleship cycle to you, but I would like to warn you ahead of time. I'm gonna have you doing some interactive things to go through this cycle to help you learn. So understand, I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. So with that being said, um, I want to refer back to first uh, Matthew 28. And I want to point out a couple of things. You can turn to that passage in your Bible. That would be great. I'll give you just a moment to do that. So in Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission, I want to point out a couple things there before I launch into uh, the PowerPoint that I have to show you. First, the, the, what's the very first word of verse 19? It's go. I want you to look at the very first word of verse 20. What's it say? Teaching them. 
Those are both commands. It's things that require us to take action. And when I look at the process that Jesus was involved with, with his disciples, he was actively engaged with sending them, with telling them to go in various ways and in teaching them and asking them after he departed to be involved with going and teaching as well. That's a key part of the discipleship cycle. With that being said, let's take a look first and see... We're not getting a PowerPoint there. Just once up. There we go. Uh, so if we think about discipleship holistically, what I'd like to point out to you is that it involves something that we are doing. In our individual expression of following the Christ, we see that we are required to hear the word, to act on the word, and to share and learn. That's the core of the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission also points out a variety of other things we will get to in a couple of the slides in front of us. But the key thing is in our personal discipleship, in our personal following with Christ, we are to hear the word, we're to act on his word, and we're to go and share and be in accountable relationships with other, others. That's the... Th sort of the process that gets us started on our walk with Christ. However, it involves more than that. If you think through the process and you only do the first three things, there's something that's missing, that's missing that causes us to sort of get stuck in individualized Christianity, in our walk with the Lord, and we're not then responding to Matthew 28. And the question is, what is that? I'd just like for you to pause for a moment and think about that. What's missing? Turn to the person next to you and share, what do you think is missing? If all we do is the first three things, what's missing? Turn to a mask. So Matthew 28 tells us to do what? So there you go. We're to go. So the missing part is learning to make disciples. So in some ways, if you take a look here, if you get stuck in this circle right here, that's individualized Christianity. It's also a place where people get stuck. They just get stuck in this section right here, hearing the word and acting on the word. That's individualized Christianity. Even when we put ourselves in sort of mutually discipling relationships, if we do not move to learning to make other disciples, we're still stuck because we're not fulfilling Matthew 28. That's individualized Christianity. So if you take... And look at that as a challenge. The PowerPoint is really slow here. There you go. If you take and look at the challenge of Matthew 28, you have to figure out what discipleship Christianity is. And that's taking a look at learning to make disciples. Now, here's the issue. You can still get stuck there. 
There are many times that I've taught classes at the university and in other places where people will come in, they'll sit down, and they are great students. <laughs> they learn a lot of stuff. But the key, what Christ is telling us to do in Matthew 28, he has given us a command to go, to teach. It actually asks us to be involved with the process of sharing the gospel with folks. That takes action. And until we actually take action, not just planning and understanding and learning about what it means to make disciples, until we take the step when we're doing that, we are not accomplishing what the Lord left to us as a challenge, not just a challenge, but as a command. So let's take a little deeper look at that cycle. So as an individual Christian, Can you, there you go. Uh, can, can you folks in the back just fast forward that for me when I ask? Does that work? Okay, thank you, because this is not responding well. Um, the key thing to keep in mind is that the discipleship cycle truly is a, is a, is a cycle. As an individual disciple of Christ, I follow Christ. If you think about one of the occurrences of the specific word in Matthew 28 about disciple, it actually is referring to, uh, it's used, actually that word is only used four times in the New Testament, that specific word in Matthew 28. And one of them is talking about our relationship to Jesus as a disciple. So if you look at the first part of this graph, the outside circle, that's me as a follower of Christ. I hear the word, act on the word, and put myself in accountable relationships with other believers where I can practice the one another's of Scripture. And I learn and I grow. And then I move into the challenge of Matthew 28 where I learn and then I actually go about the process of making disciples. Now, Matthew 28 is talking about two levels there. It's talking about evangelism. He is sending the disciples out to all the world. Jesus' ministry during his time here, was largely with whom? With the Jews, with those that he, were, he was closely associated with. He worked with 12 men closely to make them disciples. But with his departure, his command to the disciples was that they go to all the world and to make disciples. So the second part of being a disciple of Christ is responding to the Great Commission and then making other disciples, which takes you to the inside circle here. The inside circle is where I have made a disciple either through evangelism or in practice of one another uh, commands of Scripture, I have taken someone else that I know that needs some discipleship or wants some discipleship, and then I am in the process of helping them to mature. That's the walking beside them and helping them hear the word, understanding what it means to hear the word, how to act on the word, and then I help them debrief and learn. That's part of discipling. That's part of what Jesus did when he was walking with the disciples. He was beside them on a daily basis. He was nurturing them. He was challenging them. He was at times rebuking them and then in the process of restoring them. That's all part of making disciples and nurturing disciples. And you see that Jesus did that. However, when we take on a discipleship role, we need to understand that our ultimate goal is not to keep folks in that inner circle where we're always responsible for their spiritual walk and, and growth. The inside of this circle 
which we'll look at a little deeper in a few moments, is the things that we need to keep in mind about how people learn. But the key thing is, is that we don't want to get stuck of all, having a... Any of you here have been in the permanent forever Bible study? It just went on and on and on and on. Or, or, or it didn't seem to have any other purpose except to study the Word? Well, discipleship is different than that. There is a purpose for studying the Word and having Bible studies. But the key part of discipleship is that you want to disciple someone so that they can step out and independently be involved with the process of hearing the Word, acting on the Word themselves, and putting themselves in other accountable relationships and looking for opportunities to do the same thing, which is to nurture other people in their walk with Christ and make disciples, including creating conversions. The next slide, pl slide, please. And the next one. So, if you get stuck on the inside of that circle and you never take someone that you're discipling and move them to be an independent disciple of Christ themselves and learn how to make disciples themselves, then you've broken the pattern that Matthew 28 is encouraged us to follow, which is to be in that process of continually making disciples, continually teaching, continually nurturing your brothers and sisters, continually looking for opportunities to make new believers. And that's what you see there on the graph in the area that's black, is that we have to be constantly in the process of replication. That's the difference between discipleship Christianity and individualized Christianity that Patrick pointed out. Next slide, please. This is the never-ending cycle. Take a look at the bottom right-hand side. The bottom right-hand side is the process that we need to keep in mind we're trying to nurture someone in, in discipleship. It means life-on-life -life interaction. Discipleship is a messy thing. It's, it's not like you take someone and you begin to teach them the, the word, and they learn that, and then they move on to the next step, and they move on to the next step, and they move on to the next step. It oftentimes means recursive training. In other words, we have to re go back and reteach things. And that really takes a process of where someone you're discipling has to watch you do this. And as they watch you, there's a really important part that follows up. You have to have a discussion. That's part of teaching people. It's having them sort of mentally do some calisthenics about, okay, wh what did I see you do? Why did you do that? Do I understand it? Then there's the next step in the discipleship cycle, which is as you're nurturing someone, you do it and then you, they help you do what you're doing. That's the second step of helping them grow and mature. And then you also talk and process. Back in, uh, on the uh, graph there, you see at the very bottom, put ourselves in accountable relationships where we share and learn. This is part of the learning process. This is the pro process of sharing. But if you get stuck where they're just watching you and they're helping you, then that short circuits the cycle again. The next step is they do it, you help them, you nurture them, you walk beside them, and then you still talk and process. Part of the talking and process is really important. It's just how we are as humans, the way the Lord made us. Look, when you only hear someone talk, if all I did today was talk, 
you would learn about 10% of what I had to say. But if you read it and see it, and you have something to take away to continue to meditate on, you will kick that up to about 20%. But when you discuss this, when you talk about it, you have ongoing sort of mental weighing and thinking about the process, you can kick that up to about 30%. But when you teach somebody else these things, when you're involved with this process of they do, you're watching, you help them process, you can kick it up to 50% and more of gaining that skill and that knowledge. And then the last step is you eventually want to move them outside of that cycle where you're just nurturing them and they become an independent disciple where they're in in the process of replicating as well. Last slide, please. You can see in this graph what I tried to show is you have an inner circle. If I, if I had the graphic ability, I would put another circle on the inside to show that this is an unending process of replication. So in summary, I'd like to ask you to think about discipleship in this way. Matthew 28 is not just asking us to be nurturing one another in the body. It's being involved with the process of continually looking at how we can make new disciples, how we can take new disciples and help them understand what it means to follow Christ closely, and then move them toward understanding that they have the same command that Christ gave the disciples, which is to be involved with the process of nurturing and making new disciples and being involved with that process of replication. With that being said, I will turn this back over to Patrick. Uh, Joseph has, uh, in the last couple months, he has uh, volunteered. We kind of volunteered him uh, to be the discipleship coordinator here, and he has done a, a great job getting some of these things just set and uh, some of the groundwork laid, and he's going to have um, more of a role in that as, as the months, years uh, progress for us. And, and so really, uh, as, as we conclude our, our time, at least in the Word, I want to um, answer the question, why should we each be on that discipleship cycle? Right? Why is that essential? Now, we've heard a little bit about that, but what are the motivations? Uh, why do we need to step out of that individualized Christianity and enter into discipleship uh, Christianity, And so I want to give you four motivations of, of why uh, you should seriously consider and then do and take that next step and uh, join in a discipleship uh, relationship. Here's the first motivation. Motivation number one, discipleship is a visible mark of spiritual health. Discipleship is a visible mark of spiritual health. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 indicates that one of the distinguishing marks of Christ-likeness is selflessness. Selflessness. And Paul, based upon the incarnation of Christ, on, on Christ leaving heaven to come to earth, based upon that theological reality, Paul writes this, be of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. 
This is the very heart of discipleship. We give ourselves for the sake of others. We invest in others. We're intentional, we're selfless, and we devote ourselves to others for their spiritual growth. Or we recognize that we need others. We need someone else in our life to encourage us in the faith and lead us in the word and hold us accountable to apply the scriptures. We need someone else to be a part of our maturing in the faith. Brad Howe has written this, until we have disciples making disciples, we are still drinking milk. We are infants because we can't see beyond our own skin. That's that individualized Christianity. We're so concerned with ourselves that we can't see beyond ourselves. It's all about us. The criteria through which we evaluate our own spiritual health cannot only be based upon how much Bible knowledge we have. Is that a part of it? Sure. Can't be the only thing. Or how well we study the scriptures for ourselves. Or how discerning we are when it comes to theology. All those are certainly important. They're part of spiritual maturity, spiritual health. But if we're satisfied with that standard, that criteria, we're satisfied with that, then we are living our Christianity in that individualized sense. It's all about us learning. It's all about us studying. Now we can say yes for the glory of God, but are we going to take that knowledge Are we going to have a love for others, invest in others? That is true maturity in the faith. It has an others-oriented component. We embrace Jesus's command. We go and, as we have heard, make disciples. We see beyond our own skin. We're either in a discipleship relationship or we're leading one or it's mutual. Leads to a second motivation. Not only is discipleship a visible mark of spiritual health, but the second motivation here, discipleship, applying scriptures to ourselves and then transferring that now to others. Discipleship is an invaluable component of sanctification. It's an invaluable component of sanctification. Throughout the New Testament, what you find is that sanctification, a growing in Christ-likeness, is a community effort. It's not an individualized work. It's a community effort. This is why you see so many one another commands and passages. And when you take a look at those one another passages, you must know how they're connected to our own spiritual growth. Let me give you three of those. First of all, Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3.13. Where you're called to encourage. Parakaleo, come alongside. Encourage one another. This implies more than a passing relationship with one another. So don't think that the meet and greet this morning... Right now, you've fulfilled that. I've said hi to the person next to me. And I've said hi to that same person for the last year, every single week. 
So that doesn't fulfill now, encourage one another. This is mutual concern. This is selfless devotion to fellow believers. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. This is our daily duty. This is our constant need to be encouraged. Now watch the so that. So that none of you will be what? None of you will be hardened. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need one another to be reminded of, this, of the severity of sin. We need others to remind us that sin lies. Because quite often we cannot see that. Battling sin is a community effort that we cannot and should not even try to go at alone. And notice that last phrase, so that none of you will be hardened. The caution here is for everyone. None are exempt. We need to be encouraging or being encouraged. We need to be coming alongside one another in a personal way, bringing that necessary sanctifying encouragement to remain faithful in our Christian life. We need one another. Think of Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us, community effort, let us, none are exempt, consider, this is an act of the will. This takes thought and determination and decision, let us consider how to stimulate, to spur, to stir up, to provoke, strong word, to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together. Lone Christians fall by the wayside. Lone Christians become hardened, judgmental, proud, because lone Christians are in an echo chamber with themselves. The writer says, this has been the habit of some, but rather encouraging, same word, parakaleo, coming alongside, encouraging one another, community. We grow in love and good deeds through the encouragement of others. And it's not something to take lightly. We need to do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do this all the more. Let's come to grips with this. Individualistic Christianity may be easy-er, but individualistic Christianity does not produce a loving Christian. It produces a selfish love, not an obedient life. Again, we need those caring relationships. We each need to intentionally seek one another to stimulate them, provoke them to love, to obedience. And it should be obvious, but at least it needs to be stated again. This cannot be fulfilled on Sunday morning only. This is throughout the week. Think of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Our call is to bear, to carry one another's burdens. You can broaden this out. This could be the heavy load of sorrow that we experience through life. Could be the difficulties of life's struggles. 
hardships, trials. In this context, though, very specific is the heavy load of temptation, of sin, of spiritual failure, weakness. So the call is, go to them. Come alongside them, support your brother and sister in Christ and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. Love is an action. And then Paul adds this, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, and if we're honest, we have all been there. We think that we are something when in fact we are nothing. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, if you think you can remain in that individualized loop with no consequences, he deceives himself. Deceives himself. So don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Do not go at the Christian life alone. This is a community effort. It's an invaluable component to our sanctification. Bring this into the context even of the Trinity. Brad House again has stated this. There is no biblical support for personal autonomous Christianity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have eternally existed in relationship with one another as one God in three persons. God is a relational being who created us as relational beings so that we could image him. What does this mean then in the Christian life? This means loving one another. If you're not in a community with others, you cannot love one another. It's impossible to fulfill that command. This means loving one another. Forgiving one another. If you have never been offended, then you cannot fulfill the command to forgive one another. Now, don't go on, you know, offending each other. It's not the point. I want to grow you in the Christian life. So let me just say this about you. That's not the call here. By the way, there's no one another, the, the I'm going to humble one another. It's not in the scriptures, okay? Love one another, forgive one another. This is also calling one another to confession and repentance for the purpose of reconciliation and challenging one another to live lives that glorify God. This is a community effort. So discipleship, that accountability, that love, that care, that encouragement, the bearing of burdens, all of that is invaluable to our sanctification. Third motivation. Third motivation to enter this discipleship cycle. Number three, discipleship is a vital activity for a maturing church. It's a vital activity for a maturing church. We've gone to the individualized Christian, the personal life. What about the church now? It is easy, it is easy to hear the preached word and leave unchanged in the sense of unchanged in obedience. We're always going to be changed by the word. It's either to our obedience or hardened by the word. But we know our tendencies. It's easy 
to hear a message and then leave, go on with the rest of our day without ever thinking deeply or personally about what we have just heard or just read. But that's not just an issue we face today. The very first book penned in the New Testament warns against this. It's James 1. James writes, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, applies it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man, notice this man, will be blessed in what he does. So there's only two ways you can leave the word of God. There's only two ways you can leave this morning. There's only two ways you can close your Bible. Just as there are only two ways you can leave a mirror. That's the contrast James is making here. In the first century, a mirror would have been a polished piece of metal, brass, bronze. It was used if you were washing your face, combing your hair. But the first century mirror was not like our glass mirrors today. Those mirrors could only give a dim or distorted reflection of yourself. First century mirrors required some work, some work on the person's part to see himself properly. That's why James uses the word looks here. Again, it's a stronger word. It refers to careful observation, thoughtful attention. So this is not hasty. It's not a passing glance. So bring that then into the spiritual realm. The scripture is the mirror And just like a mirror, the scriptures show us our true spiritual appearance. Scriptures disclose any blemishes we might have. They show us what we really look like before the Lord. Without a mirror, what is our natural tendency? It's this. We imagine ourselves looking better than we actually do. Right? We've all been there. Right? We get a good night's sleep. We wake up, we feel refreshed. We feel ready to face the day and then we make the mistake of looking in the mirror. And we realize we have a lot of work to do before we go out into public. Bring into the spiritual realm. Just as we gaze into a physical mirror to improve our physical appearance, so too should we gaze into the spiritual mirror in order to improve our spiritual appearance, certainly the heart. And in James's illustration here, on the surface, both of these people, both of these approaches are right. The man looks carefully in a mirror, verse 23. Verse 25, the other man has looked intently. There's an attentive look. So they've listened to the word alertly. They've come to Sunday morning worship, well-rested, they're attentive. They've been engaged. 
They attend adult equipping hour. They listen to sermons throughout the work week. They read their Bible daily. Yeah, verse 24, one of them, once he has looked at himself and gone away, once the sermon's over, once the Bible's closed, he has immediately forgotten. There's the difference. He has immediately forgotten what kind of person the scripture showed him to be. He thinks he looks better than he is. There's no retention. There's no remembering. There's no application. There's no meditation upon the word. Well, this is the beauty of a discipling relationship. It's not meant to take precedence over the corporate worship service. That's not the point. It's not meant to replace that. No, it's meant to take God's word to see ourselves in the mirror's reflection and then personalize it. Personalize it in a very particular way specific to you and the person who you're discipling or the person who's discipling you or in that small group, very personal application. It is impossible to have personal application from this pulpit. It is impossible. Look around. We're all different. But now we take God's word and say, okay, now what is the change to me? How do I apply, apply this to me? That's discipleship. That's that community effort. And when this is done with love and with care, we are not able to walk away from the mirror of God's truth without making those necessary heart adjustments. Again, to quote House, by leveraging one-on-many preaching with one another discipleship in community, we get the advantage of clear teaching and the intimacy of community. It's that change. It's that relationship we need. We're not able to be a hearer only. So discipleship is a vital activity for a spiritually growing church. Finally, number four here, motivation number four. Why should we be a part of this discipleship cycle? Because discipleship is a necessary investment in the next generation of believers. It's a necessary investment in the next generation of believers. Being a part of a discipling relationship is a constant reminder. This is one of the benefits. It's a constant reminder that the gospel goes beyond you. And we need that reminder. Paul's words to Timothy, they are clear. Look beyond yourself. See beyond your own skin. Paul writes, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these two faithful men. It doesn't stay with you, Timothy. And notice it doesn't stay with those faithful men. No, they will be able to teach others also. Paul invests the word into Timothy. Timothy invests that word into faithful men. Those faithful men entrust that word to others. Those others continue this personal, discipling, intentional process. And the result is beautiful. Generation after generation grow in their love of the scriptures, their application of the scriptures, their guarding the truth of the scriptures, their proclamation of the gospel of the scriptures. 
all for the glory of the Lord of the scriptures. And so as we conclude the weekend that we have focused on discipleship, understand there are only two ways to live the Christian life. You can walk that individualized Christianity path, but the warning is that is a lonely path. And that is a path filled with pride. Or we can follow the Great Commission, live on the discipleship path of Christianity. It's filled with great blessing. That's the promise in James, great blessing. And blessing not just for yourself, but for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and the next generation. Again, this is our theme, growing a culture of discipleship here. We need this. So as you leave this morning, you're going to find this pink piece of paper right there on that table as you do leave. Uh, This is how you can let us know that you want to be in a discipling relationship. And so take that, uh, read through it, fill it out. It's a spiritual assessment. It's how you can be a part of this within this church body. Again, it's not just if you're looking to disciple someone, do you long to be discipled? It's not just one-on-one. It can be smaller groups. It can be that. But take that sheet, read through it, fill it out. You can drop that at the connections desk before you leave. You can fill it out throughout the week. Bring it back to the church here next week. Again, drop it off at the connections desk. And the next steps, this is that next step that you can take. And then Joseph and I will be looking through those. Joseph will be making contact. We don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. We want to see this develop within this church. See the maturing of the church together, not alone, together as a church family. Father, we are thankful that you have brought this church family together. And we thank you that we are different from each other. No one's the same. We thank you for that. Thank you for different personalities, levels of maturity. I pray that we would be humbled and recognize that we need one another here in this room. That we would step out of that individual path that we'd give ourselves to others. All for the glory of your name, glory of your gospel. So my prayer is that your spirit would change us on the inside to give us that needed humility to take these next steps. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.